Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, I don't know if this is the greatest series I've ever been part of, but I know one thing has been the longest I've done in a long time. I think it was supposed to be like five weeks long, and I don't even know how many weeks I've been into it. But today's talk is the last weekend of the Supernatural Series, Spirit-Filled Family Living. And I know that we've used this verse every week, but it's important that we truly understand the concept of it. So let's go back to the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 8, and let's look at our series verse. The Bible says, the one who sows or plants to please his sinful nature, just think about that word, that expression, sinful nature, will from that nature reap destruction. That's a strong word. And, and, and here's the thing that we're going to have to understand. This verse is not written to people that don't know Christ. This verse is written to us who are Christians. So consequently, what the Bible is saying to me and to you, if you are a Christ follower, the person who plants to please the sinful nature will from that nature not reap problems, but destruction. In other words, we could have the destruction of a marriage. We could have the destruction of opportunity. We could have the destruction of, of even our own emotional and mental health. So scripture says, the one who pleases, sows to please the sinful nature will from that nature reap destruction. The one who sows or plants to please the spirit, notice that's capitalized there, will from the spirit reap life. Well, the one thing that we see clearly out of that verse is so important for us is that you and I have two natures if we are Christ followers. We have the old nature that we inherited when we were born from Adam. That sin nature is passed down. Romans chapter 5 teaches us very clearly that. That sin nature is passed down to every human being who is born with a human father, which is why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. We, just, we didn't do anything to inherit it. We, we, just, we have it on board when we, when we get into the world. We inherit that dark side. This is the reason why we have to die or we have to be changed, 1 Corinthians 15, when Jesus returns for us because we can't take that old system to heaven with us. So here's the thing that we must understand. When we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moves in. So we have two operating systems. And that is why we have this constant battle that takes place inside of us. You and I know clearly this all too well. Because if you are a Christ follower, I don't care if you've known Jesus for 40 or 50 years, there's still thoughts that you have that you wonder, how can a Christ follower think this way? Words can pop out of your mouth, and you're saying, how can a Christian talk like that? And of course, Satan will come along to exploit it and say, maybe you're not really a Christ follower. And because a Christ follower wouldn't say that or do that or think that or be tempted that way. So we have this constant battle going on inside of us. And on this last week of Supernatural, I want to give you some scripture that I thought about many times as I was bringing these messages so that we can understand what's inside of us right now. And this is written by the Apostle Paul, who I guess was perhaps one of the greatest Christians of all time. The Holy Spirit used him to write 13 books out of your New Testament. There are 27 books. He wrote 13. I think he wrote Hebrews, which would be 14. I want you to hear what one of the greatest leaders of all time said about this battle that's going on inside of him. He said, I know that nothing good lives in me. That's strong. 
Nothing good lives in me. And then he qualifies it instantly. That is in my sinful nature. There is a part of me that has nothing good in it. Now, that dark side can represent itself with a saccharine form of altruism. And that's what we see with political correctness today in our culture in large part. There's a sort of sham goodness. But so many who buy into that don't know Jesus Christ yet because oftentimes political correctness pushes back against the truth. So Paul is saying, understand that inside of me, that is in my dark side, there is nothing good. There's nothing right. I've discovered, he said, this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. Well, someone who doesn't know Christ could not say that. He's saying, I love God's law. I love what's true. I love what's right. But there is another power inside of me that is at war with my mind. And I just think every Christ follower who loves God and knows the word of God can sync up with that. We want to do the right thing, as Paul said, but there's another force inside of us that's at war with our thinking. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is, and this next word is perhaps the most important word out of this entire section of scripture, still within me. Paul's a Christ follower. He's a missionary. He's taken the gospel all over the world. And yet he said, this dark side is still inside of me. So here is the good news. And I know that's challenging right there. But if you've invited Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, you're not alone in your battle against your old nature because the Holy Spirit is inside of you to help you overcome the temptations, the impulses of your dark side. Now, with everything that we've learned in all these weeks, however many weeks I've been speaking on this theme, I have believed that the Holy Spirit was teaching me that I need to make this last talk about an area that could make or break us. Every week, I've given you a sentence that makes this whole concept practical. And I know you've heard me say it time and time again. But you and I are planting seed 24 hours a day. Every thought we think Every attitude we hold, every word we speak, every action we perform is a seed, and it's going to have a harvest. And one of the thoughts that we've thought about time and time again is that many people think that they have an area of dysfunction in their lives that's incurable, but what they're really dealing with is a bad harvest. So many Christ followers I've talked to through the years believe they had a bad marriage. I would listen to what they said and realize they had a very good marriage. These were very good people. They, they weren't in a bad marriage. They were having a bad harvest. They'd been dropping toxic seed in the ground. And so this harvest was coming up. And so here's a guy thinking, I need another wife. And here's a wife thinking, I need another husband. When I would get to know them, I would think they're both wonderful people. I would love to hang out with, with both of them. But they were having a bad harvest. I mean, I could be talking to many of you here today on, or watching online. You could say, I feel like a failure. I just feel like I'm never going to get this Christian life right. I feel like a failure, but you're not a failure. You're just having a bad harvest. We've, we've got to grasp that because if Satan can make us think that we're failures, then we will never know what the problem is. We'll never know what the issue is. We won't be able to connect the dots. I could be talking to parents who just like, my kid is never going to get it. I mean, I invest, I invest, I invest in him, but he's just never going to get it. She's never going to get it. Well, your kid is dealing with a bad harvest. And, and, and the beautiful thought about this whole premise of planting seed is that you and I can determine a whole lot of what we want our future to be. 
But every time I quoted that sentence that I've quoted so many times, every thought we think, every attitude we hold, every word we say, every thing that, every action that we perform is a seed. I have felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, Mark, you need to talk about one thing. You need to take one of those and just spend a whole weekend to talk about the one that could be a make or break. And so for the next few moments, I want to talk to you about planting attitude because the attitudes that you and I hold right now, whether they're good attitudes or there's a toxic attitude in some aspect, those are seeds. Uh, They're going to come up. And the attitude that I have is going to determine a whole lot of my future. Now, let's go to the Word of God because you don't drive as far as you drive to hear the opinions of Mark Hoover. You come here to hear the Word of God. So let's go to the Scriptures on this and get underpinning for this. In Ephesians chapter 4, and by the way, if you've been through a lot of this series, you say, Mark, what is the one chapter from the Bible I need to reread in order for me to have a refresher course in this series? Without a doubt, it's Ephesians 4 because I've been in this chapter so much. Well, Ephesians chapter 4, let's read together. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. What does Paul mean there? He means the way you lived before you knew Christ. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So what Paul is challenging us to do here is that old person He's challenging us when we get up in the morning to say, I do not want to wear the emotional and spiritual clothes of my dark side. So I'm going to take that off today. And ultimately, in a few moments, he's going to get to putting on the new self. We'll read that. But notice what is in between putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Let's read it again. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And to be, here's the middle part. Here's the meat of the sandwich. To be made new in the, help me new spring, what's the next word? To be made new in the attitude. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to people that don't know Christ? No, no, he's talking to Christians because people who don't know Christ don't have a new self. So here's what he's saying. Jesus will save us. I mean, he will forgive us of our sins. Our names will be written in heaven. We're going to heaven when we die, but we still have something that we have to do, which is a big part of what I'm going to be talking to you about in two weeks. He is saying we have to determine that before we can put off the old self and put on the new person that God is making us to be, that we have to have an attitude shift. We have to have an attitude change. Verse 24, after that attitude changes, then we can put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, as I've studied for this message, the Holy Spirit has been showing me a construct and I'd like to work, work it with you for just a few moments. Here's the first plank of the construct. Before you and I knew Christ, we only had the old nature. That's all we had. Holy Spirit was not in us. We may have had a conscience. We may have even done some nice things. But at the end of the day, before Jesus Christ saved us, all we had was the old nature. Plank two. The old nature cannot produce a godly attitude. Again, it can do some nice things in the way the world looks at things. But a person who does not have Jesus Christ in his life, the Bible calls this person spiritually dead. So they're not capable. We were not capable before we were saved to have a godly attitude. Number three, if I as a Christian am instructed to, quote, be made new in my attitude, this is huge. That means I bring my old attitude into my new life. Number four, the obvious conclusion. I can be a new person in Christ and still have an old attitude. 
I can still have the attitude that I brought from before I knew Christ as my Savior. That one statement does more to explain <laughs> what I've seen in so many people's lives in 40 some odd years of pastoring, but I'll go a step further. That one statement explains a whole lot of the failure in my own personal life. I just think if we would hold that today, it would just help us grasp the challenge of living for Christ in these days. We tend to bring our old attitude into our new life. That's why the challenge that we read a moment ago, where we read, put off your old self, be made new in the attitude of your mind, then put on the new person, that we're being created to be in Christ. So, in this brief talk today, let's ask the question, why is attitude so important? Because I just think most people that I know, maybe even including myself, we tend to look at what's wrong in our lives on an a la carte basis. Oh, well, I shouldn't have had that thought, I shouldn't have said that word, I shouldn't have done that thing. We tend to look at it as disconnected. And, and how am I gonna solve all these issues and all these all these problems that, are, that pop up in my life. And we fail to understand that attitude determines the rest of those. See, attitudes determine my thoughts. Attitudes, they determine my words. They determine my actions. There, there's so many ways of defining attitude. I think I gave you one in a previous sermon series. I think we were talking about spiritual warfare in which I shared with you, to me, attitudes are like filters. They're filters through which we look at the facts. You and I know that there are two people that could be in identical circumstances. One is happy, one is miserable. They're, they're sitting on the same body of facts, but they're looking through different filters. And those filters distort, shade, augment the facts. I love what Kaufman said in his great book, Happiness is a Choice. He defined attitude as this. Attitude is that invisible person always with you, coaching you, on how you should interpret circumstances. Let me read that one more time. Attitude is that invisible person always with you, coaching you on how you should interpret circumstances. So this is the moment for us to ask the question, and you don't need to answer me, you don't even need to answer anyone else, but the question that all of us who are Christ followers, Jesus Christ is in our lives, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us, we owe it to ourselves, and frankly, we owe it to everybody in our lives, and most of all, owe it to Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. We need to ask ourselves the question, do I have a healthy, positive, Holy Spirit, Christ-like attitude, or do I have an attitude that's shaped by my old nature? One more time, do I have a healthy, positive, Holy Spirit, Christ-like attitude, or do I have an attitude that's still shaped by my old person? Well, you, you won't need to answer that for me, so I'll tell you what let's do. For the rest of this talk today, let's just look at some facts about attitude, and you and I can do a checkup. Here's first fact. We choose our attitude. Let's say that one more time. We choose our attitude. Now, in just a moment, I'm gonna share a list of some toxic attitudes, but before I do, I want you to know that no one with a bad attitude believes what I just said. That's a fact. Nobody with a bad attitude believes that we choose our attitude. And here's what you'll hear when you talk to someone who has a bad attitude. I mean, if they ever are honest enough to admit they have a bad attitude, they'll tell you it's because of what's happened to me. I have a bad attitude because of what was done to me in childhood. I have a bad attitude because of the way people treat me. I have a bad attitude because of all my shortcomings in the eyes of others. 
I have a bad attitude because uh, it's just how my family is. If, if anyone ever gets to the place where they get close to admitting they have a bad attitude, the next word will always be because. Because people with bad attitudes do not believe that attitude is a choice. Out of self-defense, they don't believe that. Because if they ever admitted that attitude was a choice, then all of a sudden they would lose their grounds, their comfort for having a bad attitude. And I'm respectful because oftentimes there is legitimacy in what's behind that because. People have done things to them that were painful. They have gone through experiences that were not pleasant. People have shamed them and made them feel less than. So those things are factual. And I think therein lies a whole lot of the problem. But still in all, you and I choose our attitudes. I've talked to so many people through the years that when I've gently tried to bring them to the place where their attitude, you know, where their attitude needed an adjustment, they would say things like this to me. If you went through what I went through, you would understand. But that's not plausible, is it? Because here's the deal. Here's the, here's the deal, Parker. Do you remember when you were in, 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 in elementary school or, or middle school or high school, maybe even in college? You ever remember when the um, teacher or the professor gave a quiz or test that seemed to be hard to everybody and almost everybody would fail? And you just think, well, this is an unreasonable test. And your hope is that the teacher will grade on the curve, like take the top F and make it an A plus and then scale it from there. But work with me. Isn't it true that there was always somebody in the class, usually a girl, that broke the curve <laughs> and just messed it up for everybody else? Well, don't you know people who have a great attitude who have been through a lot of hard things? In fact, that's the weird thing about it, New Spring. Many of the people I know who have the very most Holy Spirit, Christ-like attitudes have been through some of the worst things that life has to offer. I've told this story before, and I, 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 maybe it's my favorite story to tell of experiences that I've had. Oh, 25, 26 years ago, I was doing a conference in Toronto, Canada for a great church, large church. And this particular church had, um, they had something that was part of their culture. When they had a guest speaker, they had kind of a meet and greet area. And so the pastor would take me back to that, and there would be this long line of people who wanted to talk to me. And so I think the conference began on Wednesday night. It would end on Sunday. So that Wednesday night, I went back there, and sure enough, there was a long queue of people. But I could not help noticing one particular person in the line. It was an Asian lady, um, beautiful lady. But the thing I couldn't help but notice is her smile was like six feet wide. Have you ever known somebody that when they smiled, they just lit up the room? And that's, that's how this lady was. And she would always position herself where she would be at the end of the line so that by the time I got to her, we would not be limited on time. And her name was Kim. And, and I just, I love talking to her. I mean, she just was so gracious and so pleasant and just had this magnetic smile. And, and so that happened on Wednesday night. It happened on Thursday night. And I don't know if it was Thursday night or Friday night. I think it may have even still been Thursday night. I was talking to Pastor Greg, who's a friend of mine, and I just said, Greg, I, you know, Kim is something. I said, even if there are a thousand people in the room, I'm looking for Kim because she just has this smile. And, and he said, you know who she is, don't you? And I said, yeah, she's Kim. She's the lady with the big smile. 
But Greg was serious. He looked at me and he said, no, no, no. You know who she is, don't you? What I'm about to tell you will not make any sense probably unless you're A, either a real student of history or you're a baby boomer. He said, Kim is the girl in the photograph. Well, like I said, that, that, that may not make a whole lot of sense to us, but you talk to, you talk to a baby boomer of Vietnam age and you talk about the girl in the photograph, I know instantly who you're talking about. It's one of the 10 most famous United States photographs. It won a Pulitzer Prize. In the worst part of the Vietnam War, our, our pilots were dropping napalm. And there is the photograph of a naked little 10-year-old girl running in the street. Her clothes have been burned off. Her skin is dropping in shreds. And that one photograph probably did more to influence the opinions of the United States about the Vietnam War. See, what happened was when Kim was running through the streets with the napalm burning the skin off her body, they, they thought there was no way that she could live, but there was a doctor there, an American doctor, who said he believed he could save her life. And she went through unspeakable horror. I think she went through 20 surgeries. I'll never forget looking at the photograph of Kim that she showed me. There was a photo of her holding her child with a backless dress, and I could see the scarring on her back that was just, I couldn't look at the photograph. I still can't look at that photograph to this day. On Friday night of that conference, when the line was long, I looked, and Kim had positioned herself at the end of the line so that she could talk to me without interruption. And Kim said, Pastor, she had a little bit of an Asian accent, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. She said, I've been invited. It was Veterans Day in the United States. I've been invited to the Vietnam War Memorial, and I've been asked to speak. And she said, I remember that smile as long as I live, but it's why I love to tell the story so much. Please pray for me that I can tell them I forgive them because Christ has forgiven me. How Kim came to know Jesus Christ is, a, is an interesting story. I knew part of it. I knew she told me part of it. After the Vietnam War ended, the Soviets used her as a propaganda ploy. They would fly her and her husband all over the world to talk about the warmongering Americans. But it didn't take Kim and her husband long to realize that they were being exploited. And one day they landed in Toronto and just walked off the airplane and asked for asylum. Somehow Kim, and this is just how the Holy Spirit works, somehow Kim went into a library and was looking for books one day and found a Bible and started reading the New Testament. And it really did have an impact on her. She was wondering, have what I've believed all these years, has it been wrong? Her husband had a brother-in-law who, who had a friend who was a Christian. This is pretty convoluted. And, they, and, and somehow they, were, they set up a meeting with Kim and this guy who was a Christian who happened to belong to the church that I happened to speak at. And he answered a lot of her questions and it wasn't long before she attended, as I told you I was going to tell you. She went to a Christmas service and Kim gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ. 
And I got to tell you, that speech that Kim gave, it's now very famous. And it launched her career as a speaker. And she speaks all over the world. Started that day that she asked me to pray for. At Veterans Day. But Stephen gave me this yesterday. This is something I'd never seen before. Kim said, she talked about her past and all those surgeries that she had. It was so painful. She had nightmares every night. And anger that just built up over it. And listen to these words. This is from Kim. The anger inside me was like a hatred high as a mountain. And my bitterness was as black as old coffee. I hated life. I hated all the people who were normal. Because I was not normal, I wanted to die many times. Doctors helped heal my wounds, but they couldn't heal my heart. Bitterness is black as old coffee. Guys, I know Kim Fuke. I don't know that person. That person with bitterness is black as old coffee. That person with anger and hatred for anybody who was normal. I don't know that person. I just know a person who was filled with the love of Christ. I just know somebody that when I looked at her face, it was, it, that was 26 years ago, but it still brings joy to me just thinking about who she is and what she was about and the forgiveness that not only was in her heart for that day, but a forgiveness that has launched a career where she's gone all over the world giving people the love of Jesus Christ. See, I don't know that old person. Because there was a moment when Jesus Christ came into her life and she decided she was going to choose her operating system. We choose our attitude. And I could be talking to somebody here today and you just say, Mark, I, I can't change my attitude. Don't let Satan give you that lie. Don't, don't let him keep... Don't let him push you to keep dropping seed into the ground that's going to just make you so miserable and make people around you want to avoid you. If you're a parent, don't let him sell you on that lie because it'll, it'll ruin your relationship with your kids. We choose our attitude. Number two. Because attitude is so important, it's the first place our, our enemy attacks. If you go back and look at the first sin, which really set us on a course to be where we are with our dark side, that sin was a temptation of Eve and ultimately Adam. But before Eve and Adam ever ate the fruit, before Eve ever pulled it off the tree, I want you to see what Satan said to her, because this is really important. God had said, hey, only one rule here. It didn't have to do with the fruit. It was just God had to find one rule, one choice where they would choose not to do the wrong thing. And he gave them a really slow pitch. He said, you can have anything you want. Just leave this one tree alone. It was a test. But before Eve pulled off the fruit, look at what Satan said to her. You won't die. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, Eve, the reason why God gave you this rule is he's just trying to mess up your life with this rule. Look, I, I, I know this. I know Satan would like to wreck my life. He'd like to wreck yours. He would like to get us to do something, some things, I mean, I don't know what, he, what, what his temptation is for you. It might be sex. He might want you to be in a relationship that would blow up your life. He might want to pull you into adultery if you're married. That would wreck your marriage. He might, want, he might want to pull you into some kind of dishonest financial thing. 
I mean, he's got a whole arsenal. He's got a big toolbox of, of life-destroying junk. But I do know this. I know that the one thing Satan would like to do first is just to get you to develop a bad attitude. Because if he can get you to develop a bad attitude, he can pull you away from God. Let's, um, let's take this thought and let's go to number three. Fact number three. Toxic attitudes. This is one of the most important things I'll teach today. Toxic attitudes are always built on the site of our greatest weakness. I mean, I think to some degree we all deal with a bad attitude. But here's what we must understand. That bad attitude is typically built as a protection for some area of weakness in our lives that we feel is not fixable. Let's just do something for a few moments. Let's do an exercise. I'm going to give you what I believe are some toxic attitudes. You may have your own list because I'm not going to get anywhere close to exploding. But let, let's just start off with the most noted bad attitude. Let's talk about a negative attitude. And you know what it's like to be around somebody who's got a negative attitude. Uh, you just hate to see them coming, right? You, you will avoid them at all costs. And oftentimes they're very intelligent people. But they always have the problem. Whatever the issue is, they can always see the problem. They can always see the dark side and they cannot see opportunity. And I think that's one of the reasons why people with a negative attitude just grind on us. But a person with a negative attitude, their weak place is fear. Whenever you talk to someone who has a negative attitude, they are governed by their fears. And it's really important that we understand that because oftentimes they can be so difficult that we just want them out of our lives. But maybe it's time for us to understand that they are victims. They're being victimized by their fears. What really makes them difficult to deal with is they have a sense of superiority. They feel like they know more than you do. Because if you're a person who's optimistic and cheerful and, and you're always looking for opportunity, they look at you and think you poor, deluded, naive person. If you only know about life what I know about, you would know to be scared of all those things you're not scared of. Now, I'm cautious here because obviously we need to see both sides of every situation. What are the problems? What are the risks? And what are the opportunities? But again, a person with a negative attitude just never sees opportunity. They just always see the dark side. And it's true. We live in a broken world where bad things happen. But a negative attitude is, is kind of its own bondage. If I'm talking to somebody today who you know in your heart, you deal with a bondage to the dark side. I want you to listen to what the Bible says. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, the Bible says, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves, or the old translation will say, fear has torment. Torment there is an interesting word. It's only used twice in the New Testament in the Greek. You know the other time that torment in that context is used? Jesus used it in Matthew 25 to talk about hell. Now, there's no such thing as hell on earth. Hell is after this life. But the closest thing to hell on earth I draw from that is to have a dark, negative attitude. Because there's torment associated with that. Well, let's go to another one. Close to a negative attitude is an insecure attitude. Now, we could take a lot of time and talk about insecurity. I, want, I think I did a series back at the old location, 26 weeks on insecurity, which is way too long to talk about insecurity. I was almost insecure by the time I got through with that series. <laughs> well, what is an insecure attitude? Because you and I know people who are crippled by insecurity. Here's the, here's the bottom line. A, 
person with an insecure attitude is always fearful that someone or something is going to take away what grace has given us. Think about that for just a moment. I mean, first of all, Scripture tells us that everything we have was given to us by God. If you have strengths, if you have, if you have personality, if you have looks, I mean, any good thing in your life is a gift from God. But we become insecure when we think some kind of situation is going to come up or somebody in my life is going to take away some element of my life. Now, life will take away some of what grace gives us. That's true. We're going to lose things. We're going to lose situations. People will have it in for us. And they will cause difficulty for us. But let's remember this. Everything that we have, God has given to us. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that God hasn't given you? We should never fear that someone's going to take away what grace has given us because our God has an unlimited store of grace. If someone takes away what grace gave us yesterday, God will have new grace today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the word of God says, my grace is all you need. What if somebody creates a scenario where you're weak? The Bible says my power works best in weakness. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. But here's what could happen to me. And God's grace has been so rich and good in my life. If I let myself develop an attitude where I'm constantly worried that something's going to take away what grace has given me, then my bad attitude will actually contaminate my life. One of the greatest examples of this is in the Old Testament. The people of God were going through the wilderness. And they got hungry. And so God sent them manna. The Hebrew word for manna, here's what it means. It means, what is it? They didn't know. It just showed up. One scripture says it was angel's food. So all the way through the wilderness, God would just rain down this manna. They didn't know. To me, I think it was chocolate chip cookies <laughs> because I studied Hebrew and that's what I did. No, 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 So God gave them manna every day. But the ha what happened was some of the people got insecure about it. And they were afraid that, you know what? Tomorrow morning, it could not be there. So Moses had told them, whatever you do, do not save it till the next day. But there were some who were insecure and they just started filling up jars with it and they were going to keep it overnight. And the Bible says the next day when they looked at it, it bred worms and it stunk. Now, here's what happens to me. If I develop an insecure attitude, fearful that somebody is going to take away what grace has given me, I will turn God's grace into a problem. And it will breed worms. And Lord knows anyone who deals with insecurity, you deal with an insecure person in your life, you know it stinks. Okay, we'll, quickly, we'll look at a couple more. A rebellious attitude. Remember this, as Christ followers, we often pull our attitude from our old life into our new situation. And rebellion, I've actually had Christians tell me, well, I'm just rebellious, that's how I am. Well, yeah. You used to be lost on the road to hell, and you pulled that dark side with you when you came up. So, yes, I know, but God tells us to be made new in our attitude. So if, if I'm talking to somebody today and you're just like, well, Mark, I just have a problem with all authority in my life. Well, you know what? Here's what the word of God says about how your life is going right now. In Psalm 68, verse six, the Bible says the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. You guys know, in all my years of pastoring, I've talked to thousands and th I've listened to thousands and thousands of people. And the one thing I've discovered about every rebellious person is all they can do is whine about what's not going well in their lives. They, don't, they never can connect the dots. 
You know, there's a line between success and failure in life, and a lot of that line has to do with how we feel about authority in our lives. So I don't want to live in a sun-scorched land, a rebellious attitude. That's a problem. We could go on and on. We could talk about a selfish attitude and a proud attitude. But always remember this. Bad attitudes are always built at the build site of our weakness. And we don't want to function in our weakness. We want to function in our strength. Fact number four. Attitudes, more than anything else in your life, predict your future. And I know if a person has a bad attitude today, they're not going to believe that either, but that's not who we are. Your attitude is predicting your future because it's a massive seed. In fact, it's the bag that holds pretty much the other seeds. My attitude predicts my future. So strange because oftentimes we think the things that predict our future don't predict our future. For instance, I'll start with the one that most people believe. If I knew your circumstances today, I couldn't predict your future because circumstances change and God is in control of circumstances. Work with me for an exercise for a moment. You know the story, many of you, of Joseph in the Old Testament. Suppose you could have interviewed Joseph the night that Pharaoh had his dream before Pharaoh had his dream. And you could have looked at Joseph's circumstances. Well, he's lived through 13 years of bad events. I mean, every, everything that people can do to mess him up has been done to him. He's in jail for a crime he didn't commit. He's been forgotten by the guy who works for the Pharaoh. If you had talked to him the night before Pharaoh had his dream, you would have looked at his circumstances and said, all I can see in your future is orange jumpsuits and brooms. But you know the rest of the story. 24 hours after that, he's running the world. See, that's just the thing. If I knew your circumstances today, nobody, I, I couldn't predict your future. I mean, you may be going through really difficult circumstances, but our God is the one who has control of circumstances. If I knew your education today, education is important, but education doesn't predict futures. If I knew your financial situation, and I pray you're blessed in that regard, but that won't tell your future. But if I knew your attitude, I could tell your future. And you could tell mine. Number five, and I'll close with this. A powerful, overcoming, spirit-led attitude is as close to you as your power to choose. There is no reason in the world for any of us to walk off this campus or walk away if you're watching online or watching on television. There is no reason for any of us to walk out with a toxic attitude because we choose, like Kim, we can choose. And here's how the Bible puts it. And perhaps the most important verse in the Bible on attitude, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, you should have the same attitude toward another, one another that Christ Jesus had. In other words, embrace the attitude of Christ. Just like, Mark, I have a stinking attitude. Okay, just trade it for Jesus. Trade it for his attitude. Who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, this is a huge line, something to be grasped for. See, that is the problem with a bad attitude. We, we have an area of weakness and we start grabbing. We start grabbing for attention. We start grabbing for accolades. We start grabbing for somebody to give us a sense of worth. I mean, he was God. When he came to the earth, I mean, I, I love the Holy Land. It's, it's a nice place. But I'll tell you, there are better places to live in the world than Israel. 
as far as beauty. I mean, Jesus could have said, I'm God. I want to do my ministry in Colorado <laughs> or in the Bahamas. And, and you know what? He knew the future. He could have said, I want a car. You know, and, and these 12 guys that he's got, I mean, Jesus could have said, I want a better posse. You got a bunch of glory seekers. You got a terrorist in there. You got stiff-necked, blue-collar fishermen. I mean, Jesus could have said, I want a better posse. But no, no, when he came to earth, even though he was God, he didn't think that, that the perks of deity were something to be grabbed for. But he emptied himself. Now, any bad attitude, it always starts with self. He emptied himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For all of us with an attitude check, here is the way you can have a Holy Spirit, Christ-centered attitude. And it's very simple. And having ADD, I'm so thankful it's simple. And there's not a long list. You need three things. If you want an attitude transfusion today, if you want to walk out of here with an overcoming attitude, there's just three things that make that. Three thoughts. It starts here. God loves me. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He's very much into you. Do you know how much insecurity would melt away if we would just let this put its arms around us? God loves me. God loves me. God has never had one ugly thought towards you. All his thoughts about you have been good. God loves me. Number two, God is in control. People are not in control. Most people that don't like you, they're not in control of your life. Those people who are out to hurt you, they don't have any control in your life. They may, they may feel like they do. But God is in control of your destiny. Think about just the juxtaposition of those two important concepts. God loves me. God is in control. Number three. And these tile, one upon the other. God loves me. God's in control. Ergo, I don't have to grab I don't have to grab. And if you're a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And if you will embrace those three concepts, your attitude can be completely different. And you know what? That's going to change what you say. That's going to change what you do. It's going to change your relationships. It could be a turnaround. It could be a, it could be a renaissance for some marriages here today. It could be a renaissance. It could be a total transformation for some parent-kid relationships. God loves me. God is in control. I do not have to grab because God is working in my life. The only thing I have to say is you want to make sure that God is inside of you. Because that's not available if God is not inside of you. But it's so easy to have him move into your life. It's just an invitation. Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is already taking care of the heavy lifting. And all he's left from, for you is just an invitation for him to come into your life. And when that happens, 
All your sins are forgiven. Your name is written in the census book of heaven. And the Holy Spirit is inside of you to give you the power to have all of these things. So here's what I'm going to do. As I close out this service, I'm going to pray a prayer that invites Jesus in. And if you're here today and you say, Mark, I'm just not really sure where I am with God, then you can settle this. Maybe you've never invited Jesus in. Or maybe in the past, as a Christ follower, you're not completely sure. So if you want to pray with me, you can today. I'll pray it slowly. You can pray it with me. You don't have to pray out loud. You can just pray in your heart. Dear God, I am a sinner. I'm broken. And I have that messed up operating system in me. But I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want Jesus to be my savior and my king. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Give me the strength to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Give me 30 more seconds. If you just pray with me, whether you're watching on television, online, or if you're in one of our auditoriums or anywhere on the campus, I have a gift I want to give you. No, no strings. A New Spring Bible, a book I wrote that if you have questions about the decision you just made, we'll answer a lot of those questions. There's a little journal in here and some coupons. So no strings attached. So if you want this, just text the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000. If you're here on campus, you can just go back to any info center. They'll give this to you now. If you're watching online or on television, just text PRAYED to 97,000. Follow the steps, and we'll mail this to you. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.